This is episode 42 of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm here with online coach Natasha Barnes. Natasha, do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, sure. I am uh, Dr. Natasha Barnes. I'm a chiropractor. Um, I'm also a competitive powerlifter, and I am a climbing coach, and I work with climbers um, for strength training and injury rehab. Yeah, so pretty much just all around very strong person, I would say. <laughs> so who, who do you specialize in in, in your work? Like what t- typical client do you uh, most commonly work with? I specialize mostly in rock climbers, so climbing athletes. I do work with some power lifters. Um, I actually have a few clients who are like also climbers and power lifters like me, um, but I would say predominantly rock climbers. Interesting. So like is uh, rock climbing particularly big in the Bay Area? It is. Yeah, there's like 11 climbing gyms in the Bay Area. Um, and that's grown a lot since I've lived here, which I've moved here in 2005. Um, it's grown a lot. The sport of climbing is growing a lot. This this last year was the first year that it was in the Olympics. Um, so it is just growing exponentially. Damn, yeah, I remember um, about three years ago, I went rock climbing and there was two older guys who were training and it was like, they were jacked. So is it typically like if you stick around uh, rock climbing long-term, you kind of add muscle, like you typically add muscle and actually like you adapt to the sport. Yeah, it's definitely like there's a large component of strength to climbing for sure. It's a really technical sport. There's a lot of like technique to it. Um, but it, it, there is like a strength component to it, especially like upper body and especially like forearms and fingers. Interesting. So is there like a carryover then to powerlifting? Um, probably not a huge carryover, although I've noticed with a lot of my clients, they tend to be like naturally pretty good at deadlifting. And I think that's because we use our posterior chain a lot when we're climbing. Like those are literally the same muscles that are holding us onto the wall, especially on steep climbs. So there's already some like upper body development there. For climbers so they tend to be really good at like naturally deadlifts and pull-ups and stuff like that because the, those are the things that we're kind of doing when we're climbing yeah they're the, the active muscles when you're climbing yeah very good so i recently wrote a blog post about uh long-term exercise adherence i think that's like pretty much what we're trying to get our clients to do is to like adhere to an exercise plan long term at least i am and then you kind of refine it as you go um and an interesting question that i like to think about and ask the guests is what do you like most about exercise? So what, what do you get out of exercise or what does exercise do for you that you've been able to nail the uh, adherence part of it, the hardest part of exercise? Yeah, um, I don't know if my answer will be different than anybody else's, but I, I mean, I obviously really like how exercise makes me feel and I like feeling like a strong person. Um, but for me, I think falling in love with the process of training has been something that really keeps me adherent um i think a lot of people when they first start training it's really easy and fun to like focus on the numbers and like if your if your goal is like weight loss or weight like muscle gain focusing on like the the physical results um but for me being able to do like i've been strength training consistently for nine almost ten years and i probably only missed maybe like a handful of training sessions ever Um, but for me, that's because I have found ways to kind of fall in love with the process and, um, just focusing on like the small in, in session goals or, you know, little things like improving technique slightly or, 
um, knowing that I'm going to have to put in the work for several weeks in a row to get the result that I'm after, like for a powerlifting competition, you know, I'm not going to train for a week or two and like be stronger. I know it's going to be a process. So um, I think if people can fall in love with the process of training and the process of like going through an exercise program, I think that can be really helpful for long-term adherence. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking one of the points I made was like, you have to intrinsically enjoy it. So you have to figure out what you enjoy about the mode of exercise you choose and enjoy that. Cause if it's something external, like, you know, a fat loss goal, that's, that's a fixed goal. Whereas the continual goal is the process. So yeah, that's a really good tip that uh, I'll try and keep in mind. Um, and then just in terms of like habits to, uh, so obviously process focusing on the process, setting goals and stuff. They're like some kind of habits. What, what are like some key habits that, that you have that help you to uh, enjoy the process to uh, exercise long-term? Yeah, I think for me, making my training and my exercise like a non-negotiable and like making it part of my day. So like I literally have my training scheduled out in my like Google calendar. I have the session scheduled out um, and that's just like blocked off time where like it's dedicated for that. Um, and like every morning or evening, I always go for a walk. That's something that's like a non-negotiable for me. And I'll listen to a podcast or an audio book or sometimes just music, but like going on a walk, you know, to get my steps in because I'm someone who works from home. So I'm not getting a lot of steps right now. Um, but also because it's just so good for my mental health. So those are like, kind of like two things that are like non-negotiable for me. And I'm lucky enough that I can schedule in training sessions at a fixed time during the week, every week. Um, but that sort of helped me. Yeah, that sounds really useful. So you make it a non-negotiable. I love that idea. And um, for me, it's, it's I, I don't know, maybe you get this as well. I almost feel guilty if I don't train. I don't think that's healthy. I wouldn't say like to a client, it would be like, you should feel guilty if you don't train. But it's like, and maybe guilt's the wrong word, but it's kind of just like, uh, so you mentioned like the mental health benefits and stuff. So it's like, I know the benefits. So if I don't get those benefits, I feel like I missed out or I feel, I feel it. I, de- I don't feel it like, oh, I feel instantly like I missed something. It's more like I know better. So I kind of have to do better. And it's so clear within me, you know, that uh, if I don't follow through on that, it feels like something's not right. Do you get that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. And like, I can see how some people might think it's unhealthy. But like, the the way that I talk about it with clients is like, it's like brushing your teeth, you know, like, you're not like, Oh, when am I going to brush my teeth today? I got to figure out a time to like, make to like make that happen. You just do it every morning when you wake up and every night before you go to bed, like you just do it. And it's a non negotiable and you don't think about it, because it's an investment in the health of your teeth, right? And like, that's how your exercise and training should be. Like it's a non-negotiable, it's something that you do because you know, if you do it consistently over time, you're going to get the benefit of it. And so it makes sense. Like if you didn't brush your teeth one night before you go to bed, like, yeah, you're going to feel kind of bad about that. Right. Like that. Yeah. That's so funny. That is literally the best description I could think of. So it's, it's, I guess it's not really uh, guilt. It's more just like, I feel bad because I know that this is something that's worthwhile to do like brushing your teeth that uh it's quite natural now actually you know once you you build the habit up and focus on the process um so you talked about like setting like goals right and i think that is something that's like a scary thing to do even for me personally and i know for for clients it can be as well 
So will you just talk a little bit about like why you set goals, the importance of it? And like, let's say, you know, even for me or for anyone else listening, of course, uh, how to make it easier or less scary if they find it like a particular challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think goals are important because it gives you something to shoot for in terms of like your exercise or your training. Um, and I always like to refer to it as training because that's like, I don't know, I, I like that way of thinking about it, even if you're not like a competitive athlete. If you're just like a gen pop person who wants to stay healthy, like I still like framing it that way, because I think if we frame it as training, then we can think of ourselves as athletes because everybody is an athlete. And if we think of ourselves as athletes, then we can think of our habits and the things that we do as like, you know, this is something an athlete would do for their training. So I like framing it that way. Um, what was your original question? I lost my train of thought for a second there. <laughs> yeah. So, so goal setting. Um, uh, goal setting. Yeah. yeah. Importance so having, of it. Having goals helps you with your trajectory for your training. Like it helps give you something to aim for. And it doesn't have to be like, I mean, I think it's great to have like big lofty goals. Um, but it also doesn't have to be something crazy either. It doesn't have to be like some huge goal that like totally scares you. Although I think those goals are good. Um, for a lot of my clients, if they have a hard time setting like a big goal or like a big goal feels really uh, overwhelming to them, we can have that big goal, but we're also going to set like process goals. So like what other things do we need to accomplish along the way here to get you to that goal? And for some people, like process goals are a little bit more digestible so like a process goal could be like you know if you let's say you're like okay I want to deadlift this amount of weight by the time I turn 40 or something um like what do you need to do like week to week to get yourself there in a year or something like that well we need to make sure that we're like actually doing our training sessions consistently so like maybe that's a small process goal where like this week, let's focus on getting every session in. Let's like make it so you can check off those little boxes. And if you score some of those little wins, I feel like if we can stack little wins for ourselves or for our clients, then it builds some momentum and it's easier to keep going. So having those like smaller process goals is really good because it keeps people motivated. It makes them feel, it makes us feel like we're doing something, like we're checking a box, like we're we have momentum to, towards those larger goals. And then if you just keep doing that and you keep the momentum up before you know it, you look back a year and you've hit like major goals, you've hit milestones, you've made tons of progress, even though it doesn't feel like along the way you were doing anything super crazy. Yeah, yes, it's not crazy. You're like normalizing the process of hitting your targets. And then over time, they compound and yeah. So something I keep on talking about momentum all the time. I feel like I'm like overusing that word. I feel like it's tricky, though, because it's hard to convey to a client. So can you talk a little bit about momentum? And then also the second part is that you mentioned having a goal like I want to deadlift X amount by 40. What do you think of setting goals with a time frame? So like, you know, I want to deadlift 225 by the age of 40. Like, um, how do you fit in the time component? So it's one thing to set a goal, but the second part to put in time. I feel like with strength training, it's particularly tricky because there's so many uh challenges that can come up along the way yeah i think you know trying to make our goals realistic is really important like i think it is good to have like big lofty goals because it helps you you know it helps you stay motivated it helps you like shoot big um but we also want to keep them like reasonable you know um and you know that's where like you just have to think a little bit more about your goal or if you have like a coach or a trainer who's helping you with 
um, establishing your goals where they can kind of keep things like realistic for you. Um, I think that's really important. Time components are nice because it does put a little bit of pressure on you. Like if you want to do something by a certain time frame, then you know you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z to get there. Um, and so it can kind of keep you on track with, with that. And even if you don't hit that goal, it can help you stay on track too. Um, you know, we also want to keep it realistic, you know, like I don't want, I also don't want my clients putting these like unrealistic time goals on themselves. Like if that goal is not going to be realistic or if they're going to have to like completely demolish themselves and like, um, you know, do things that are maybe unhealthy to reach those goals as well. So keeping them realistic, but also like, I, I like time goals. Like for me, I love competing in powerlifting, but one of the things that I love about signing up for powerlifting meets is that it kind of gives me a focus for my training sessions, um, like a sort of like a medium or long-term focus for my training sessions. Um, and, you know, that is like a time constraint goal, but at the same time, like it's motivating for me because I know, okay, I only have like 14 weeks to prepare for this powerlifting meet. So got to make sure I've got all my ducks in a row, that I'm getting my training in, that I'm sleeping, that I'm focused on my nutrition for the next 14 weeks, you know? Very good. Yeah, actually, I'm just thinking of like not having time as an element to your goal. And it's like, well, then you're not setting the sort of uh, parameters for failure. And it's like, you kind of want to know that, like, because otherwise, it's like, where the hell are you going? You know, it's like, right where is the check mark to be like right i'm on the right path like the training session i did it was good quality or it wasn't or the training week or month you don't know so yeah i think sort of even to answer my own question like timing is it's any any element of time i guess it doesn't have to be 40 or um that length of time it could be weekly or whatever um so yeah so you just you mentioned uh your powerlifting so you're really good at powerlifting i don't know if people know that <laughs> um <laughs> So, you know, I think there's a common misconception and I can think of a, uh, a couple of comments that I've heard of like, oh, I don't want to get like too bulky or women should resistance train and stuff. And it's like, you no, know, like, you know, uh, everybody should resist train, you know, like everybody should do it. Um, so will you just talk a little bit about that, like misconception that like women shouldn't resistance train and like, you know, um, your experience with powerlifting? Yeah, totally. I think that's like a big um, hesitation for a lot of people when it comes to resistance training. And like, I know a lot of what for a lot of women, it's a big um, concern. And especially for for me personally, um, not for me personally, but like, with the clientele that I work with climbers, it's like, it's kind of like a sport that's like ballet or gymnastics where people are concerned about like strength to weight ratio and so that is a concern that comes up for you know people of any gender getting too big um or getting too bulky and muscular and it's just a really big myth um honestly like it's a lot harder than people think to gain weight or to gain like a lot of muscle um and sometimes when I ask people like well what exactly are you concerned about like because there's also people who say like well I just put on weight really fast like and I'm worried about that like I know as soon as I start to strength train I'm gonna like put on weight and you know when I ask them about it it's usually like a few pounds that they're concerned with they're like oh yeah as soon as I as soon as I start lifting I gain like five pounds instantly and we know someone's not putting on five pounds of muscle instantly it's normal to gain a little water weight especially after a training session um, and all of that kind of thing. And so, you know, trying to explain that to people 
Um, but it's, it's a lot harder to gain weight than people think. Like you have to be in a caloric surplus for a really long time. You have to be training really hard for a long time. Um, I think when I first started powerlifting, um, I was climbing competitively. I was 112 pounds. I'm five foot two, just for context for people. I was 112 pounds. I've been as small as 99 pounds, just not healthy. Um, and I've been as big as 162 pounds. Um, so I've put on a significant amount of weight in the last like nine or 10 years that I've been powerlifting. I'm now down a little bit. I'm usually like around like 137, 140 these days. Um, but as somebody who intentionally tried to put on a lot of weight to be competitive in powerlifting, it is a lot harder than people think. Um, and so I just tell people not to worry about it. A lot of times, like what you're seeing in your body when you're changing is your body just like re it's like a recomp that's happening with your body. And I've actually um, talked to clients about this before. And when they actually weigh themselves consistently, they're not really gaining that much weight. Um, and some of my clients will be like, well, my pants fit differently. My clothes are fitting differently. And if, if we look at their weight, their weight's not changing, but their measurements will sometimes change. And it just means that like they're recomping, like they're putting on muscle. Um, so your body can change that way, but it, it's just really hard to put on muscle mass and it's not something that most people need to worry about. And in fact, like for a lot of my clients, they could actually benefit from putting on some muscle mass because that's going to be protective for them. Like it's not a lot of climbers like are worried about strength to weight and they think that if they put on muscle, it's going to be this dead weight that they're dragging up the wall. But if you're training the right way, it's actually muscle mass that's like helping you. It's not like dead weight that you're putting on your body that you have to drag up the wall. It's muscle mass that's actually helping you climb harder um, and do harder moves and get into harder positions. So it's like functional and um, it's also protective. It's going to help people reduce their risk of getting injured in the future. And, um, you know, for a lot of people, especially like maybe gen pop, this is really important, but climbers too. Like we all say like, we love climbing. We want to climb forever. All of us want to like climb until we're like 80. Um, well, the older we get, the more we start to lose muscle. So like you really need to like invest in building some muscle so that you have some muscle to start with. Um, because by the time you, you are 80, you're not going to have any leg muscle to be hiking up to the crag. So it's also an investment in like your future health not just like your sports performance. Yeah, it's kind of like start saving for retirement now. Don't wait till you're retired to start doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's completely protective as well. Like, because um, we're going to get older, like father time or mother time or whoever, whatever you want to call it, is undefeated. Um, and it's like, we know that's going to happen. We can look at like older people in our family or in the community and see that like, if they, it's, it's just, it's staring us right in the face. Like if uh, we don't look after ourselves now, uh, we're going to pay for it down the line. Um, uh, so I always tell people like, don't worry about it. Like you honestly, like must putting muscle on your frame is like putting money in the bank. Like it's going to protect you. It's probably not going to like decrease your sports performance. Um, and you're not going to look bulky. I think a lot of people, there's like a misconception, like people want to look like they want to lean down or they want to like tone. Um, but that actually means you have to have some muscle to tone down to, you know, and if you don't have that muscle, then you're not going to look toned and lifting weights is something that can actually help you look more toned, not bulky. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like the, the point as well about getting too bulky, um, 
like it it takes you just in my experience like i had to have like when i was bulking for a couple of months i was like it was like four thousand cal- calories a day or something and it was like my appetite was like at like three and a half thousand and i had to eat that like four thousand because i was uh so active at the time so it's like you're not just gonna get like bulky and have a, a lot of muscle by chance like you don't get rich by chance so yeah right. it's 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 really like a small concern and even you know you're talking about like uh it's protective muscle is protective the the opposite is uh also a risk so i as far as i know and obviously i'm not like an expert on uh hormones but as far as i know so so muscle is an active tissue but so is fat and it, it secretes hormones as far as i know um so like you can only Im- imagine people who are overweight or obese they have higher risk for a whole host of metabolic diseases so it's like if you don't strength train uh the fat is kind of working you know secreting hormones um while the muscle can secrete um or function to protect you you know so it's like the fat can work against your health um it's not just sitting there whereas the muscle can protect you and you can just live a better quality life like you can live more of a life you can do your rock climbing you can do strength training you can pick up your grandkids or your own kids you know you can live so much more yeah and be independent into old age you know like be able to go get your own groceries and walk down the street and stuff like that yeah so you mentioned uh just climbing and like strength to uh weight ratio so a common goal uh among clients is that they want to be able to do a pull-up and i'm like it's it's a lot of it how much of it do you think is down to strength to weight ratio in terms of being able so, to do a full pull-up? Obviously something like that is there, it is going to be, there's like a strength ratio component. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is like, there's more than one variable we can manipulate there, right? Like you can get lighter to feel stronger or you can get stronger to feel stronger. Um, and getting stronger is going to also improve your strength to weight ratio. And even if your body weight increases a little bit, if your strength is increasing a lot, then you're still going to have a higher strength to weight ratio. Um, and one of those options is more sustainable. Like how much weight can you really lose? And at what point of weight loss are you going to start to feel weak because you're starting to lose too much weight? And that's what ends up happening with climbers is they diet, 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 because I think it's easy for people to wrap their minds around just if I just don't eat, I'm going to lose weight and I'll feel lighter. But that's a really temporary feeling. The longer you do that, you're going to start to lose muscle mass and eventually you're going to start to feel weak. Um, But strength training, I think for some people, it's hard to imagine like how they don't know how to reliably get stronger. So that just doesn't seem like an option to them. But Getting stronger is a lot more sustainable. There's other health benefits that come from it. Um, and so even if you're gaining weight, if you're also getting stronger, you can still improve your strength to weight ratio. Like I'm much heavier than I was when I was climbing competitively, but my strength to weight ratio levels are the same right now because I'm, they're actually the stronger now because I'm so much stronger. So you, you've recomped and you have added uh, strength and muscle. Um... For the the weight ratio or weight you're at which is like that's how you're able to do the more pull-ups and more weight which is really cool yeah yeah i'm like easily able to do way more pull-ups i'm easily able to do like heavier weighted pull-ups i'm also hanging more weight objectively on my fingertips than i was when i was lighter uh, my fingers are objectively stronger so so you're just you're you're able to do a lot more which is like that must be so rewarding and like so cool to see 
yeah, I'm able to do a lot more. Like my style for climbing has completely changed where like before I really liked like subtle technical climbing because it didn't require a lot of strength, um, just like a lot of finesse. Um, and now I find myself like seeking out like really powerful climbing, um, climbing that has bigger moves because I just have so much more strength. I can do that kind of climbing now. So it's, it's just completely even changed like my climbing. Yeah. And that, that's like a really long-term process. I'd imagine that like um, you could kind of like see the ability you have and say, right, I'm going to maximize this. Or I, th- I feel like what you've probably done is decided like, right, no, I want to kind of expand my ability, like in my strength and be able to like do more or set off your goals. Is that like the process you've used? Yeah, basically. So like the, the way that I kind of got into strength training was I was a competitive rock climber and I started struggling with like different injuries, specifically like shoulder injuries. And I did a little bit of rehab, which helped a little bit, but I started to realize that like I needed to get my shoulders stronger so that I could keep up with like demands of climbing, which is pretty shoulder intensive, lots of hanging and doing a lot of shoulder intensive movements. Um, and so I got into strength training for that. And, um, that, that's something that like, I found really helpful was getting, getting stronger. Um, I lost my train of thought again. (laughs) So I was saying about how your process is kind of more long-term. So, uh, you decided that you wanted to be stronger, you set bigger goals, um, and that allows you to, to do the the style of climbing that you have now, as opposed to the finesse before. Right. Yeah. So like, I knew for myself personally that I, I was a really good technical climber. I was lucky enough to start when I was 16. Um, I had good climbing coaches. I learned movement and technique pretty well. Um, And naturally I've always had like pretty strong fingers. Um, So I knew that for me, like the thing that was holding back my climbing was actually just physical strength. And when I started getting into strength training as a way to rehab my shoulders, I started realizing that this was something that was actually going to help my climbing. Um, And so I started doing more strength training as a way to supplement my climbing. Um, And I was at that point, I had been climbing for so long and I've, I've been climbing for like 23, almost 24 years. So at that point, like, I'm like, I'm willing to invest however many, like a year or two or more at this point, it's been nine now. Um, because I got sidetracked and got really sucked into strength sports, which is fun. Um, But I was willing to invest like a year or two or however long it took to like really build up my strength foundation to support the climbing that I wanted to do. Um, And I think that's something that a lot of people could benefit from, like no matter what their goals are, if it's health, if it's performance for their sport, like spending a period of time where you are doing like what I like to call is off-season training is what a lot of athletes would call it, where we're specifically going in and like building our strength foundation because it's going to support some of the goals that we have. And at that period of time, you might not be focused um, on like sports performance, but that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to completely stop practicing your sport, but um, it does mean that your focus is on building your strength foundation. And that's something that I've tried to talk to a lot of climbers about doing because it's new to the sport of climbing. Like climbing is a pretty new sport relative to lots of other sports. And if you look at what other athletes do, they spend a period of time in their off season, like doing that, where they like, they're not like focused on their sports performance. They're still practicing their sport. They're still doing practice, but they are spending time in the gym, building up their strength foundation, doing hypertrophy or doing strength training. That's going to support 
their sports performance. And I think it's really important to cycle through periods like that, whether you're just someone who's in it for health or whether you're someone who's in it for spur, like sports performance, because it's going to give you more longevity in your sport or in your day-to-day life. So, Yeah. So uh, Mark Bell said, strength is never a weakness. And I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, if you get stronger, it's just going to benefit everything. It doesn't slow you down. Um, I'm trying to like prove that like you can squat and run. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I know the, the fundamentals of training. I know what is possible. It's just hard. It's just not the typical track. Um, so we could talk about uh, injuries, which we'll get to in a bit. And you're just speaking about uh, doing an off season. I saw a basketball player, Bradley Beal. So he like is one of the highest paid uh, basketball players in his off season, he was like deadlifting like 405, which you would say like, you know, oh, you don't need to deadlift that much. And it's just like, well, why not? So um, I'm thinking recently, I'm like, if we're not in the gym to like lift heavy and get strong, right? It's like, why are you in the gym? What other reason are you in the gym for, you know? So I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. So somebody likes to resistance train or they want to get stronger or they want to get more muscular. So they're in the gym, right? So anyone who's not in the gym, that's fine. So you're already in the gym, but you're not training to get as strong as you possibly can. In my head, I'm like, okay, I'm like straight away, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why are you not trying to get as strong as you possibly can? Um, And unless you have a very good reason not to, you should be. Do you get me? So it's like, if someone is like, oh, I'm afraid or, you know, um, I'm just a bit lazy or whatever, that's like, that's not good enough. Like, you you need to think of something... uh, better to kind of like uh use as an approach to your training because you're seriously missing out like it's there's such a huge benefit to be uh got as you as you can you know attest to that when you're really strong uh it benefits so many other areas of your life so what are your thoughts around people you know training but not trying to be as strong as they can in their in in the gym yeah that that's actually something that i run into with climbers So like a lot of climbers, like, no, they should be in the gym. No, they should be doing some kind of resistance training. But there's this notion of like, like there is a too strong, like if you can lift, you know, a little bit, that's enough for climbing. And um, some people like, I don't know if this happens um, with the people that you work with, but there are like arbitrary numbers that get thrown around. Um, a big one is like, oh, if you can deadlift double body weight as a climber, you're fine. You really don't need to deadlift more than that. That's all you really need to be able to do for climbing performance. So if you can already do that, you're wasting your time in the gym. And I think that that's like a bad way to think about it because first of all, we don't know how strong how strong you need to be for climbing. We don't know. We haven't like studied that. Second of all, um, what's hard for each person and what's going to help them get stronger is going to be different person to person. I have climbers who will never deadlift double body weight unless they start training like power lifters. And I have clients who can easily deadlift 405 with just a few weeks of like structured strength training. And so am I supposed to stop the people who can't deadlift double body weight from climbing so that we can start training like power lifters so they can get to a two times body weight deadlift? And am I supposed to tell the people who can deadlift 405 to stop strength training completely because they're too strong? Absolutely not. Like, 
those numbers are really arbitrary and it's going to be different person to person. And um, I think telling somebody that there's such a thing as too strong is like, is really harmful actually, because if you're not training hard enough to actually get stronger, you're not going to get the benefits that you're trying to get from strength training, whether, and we're not just talking about like, okay, maybe you're strong enough to like do performance rock climbing. Okay, fine. But that's not the only reason why we're strength training. The other reasons why we're strength training are those health benefits that we mentioned. Like, you know, we want to keep our muscles well-trained. We want to get these other health benefits that we're after. And if you're not training hard enough, you're not going to get those benefits. So I think it's really important to make sure that we're, we're training hard enough for the individual, whether that means you're in the gym deadlifting 500 pounds, even though that's not like very typical for somebody of your sport or you're in there deadlifting like body weight or one and a half times body, wherever you're at, you know, meeting people where they're at and making sure that training is actually challenging enough for them to get stronger um, and not putting out this idea that like there's a too strong or that like you shouldn't be training hard. Yeah. Like there is no definitive, like everyone should be, you know, this strong. Like even I'm looking at the, the world health organization, or I think it's the CDC's recommendation. And it's like, they just they just say you should strength train twice a week but they don't say like you should be able to lift you know a certain amount and even at that it's like um if you intrinsically enjoy strength training if uh it has like you know physical of course but like mental health benefits and if like you uh have minimal to like no risk of injury or uh, injury problems then it's like what is the downside you know it's like get as strong as you possibly can be because like what's uh, you know the issue so you're making me think of um what the, you know the kevin bass debate about like you know people shouldn't squat and deadlift heavy and stuff um do you think there's anyone who should like avoid uh, deadlifting or squatting heavy altogether or um they should like consider it more than other people is there anyone that you would say should like double uh t- t- do like a little bit of thinking before squatting or deadlifting heavy i really can't think of anyone off of the top of my head that I wouldn't advise to like squat or deadlift heavy and heavy's relative right like doesn't mean like cool you're brand new at deadlifting go and deadlift 300 pounds you know um even though people you know, try and do that I see <laughs> some people are like oh I'll do my one rep max and I'm like but why are you doing your one rep max like what is the point and it's just they don't really even have one I'm like okay that's yeah don't <laughs> Yeah, I think that like heavy lifting gets a bad reputation because we see, you know, power lifters who are like very into the sport doing like really heavy things and straining really hard. But that doesn't necessarily need to be what like what everybody does. You know, I think meeting people where they're at and making sure that it's challenging, but like making sure that it's appropriate is what's important. Like there's no real bad movements or dangerous lifts. It's all about meeting people where they're at and finding it's, it's dose dependent, right? It's the dose makes the poison. So as long as you're not like going in and deadlifting, like your one rep max, or just like throwing 300 pounds arbitrarily on the bar day one, like you're going to be fine because your body can learn the movement, can adapt to the movement. It can adapt to the stress. That's the beautiful thing about our bodies is like, we're not cars. We don't wear down and break out. We can, uh, or break down. We can actually like, adapt to the stress that we're imposing on our bodies and get stronger and recover from it and handle it very well yeah like people are extremely resilient like uh i got hit by a car 
I dislocated my shoulder and then I did a powerlifting meet after. So, and I don't feel any uh, issue in my shoulder. So it's like, uh, we are very, very resilient. So, uh, you're talking about matching like, uh, the dose to the client and like a new idea that I've heard of in, in strength training is like matching the stimulus to our fatigue and kind of like taking each session as it comes. So can you talk about that a little bit and sort of like, uh, I guess like kind of reps and reserve training and that approach to training? Yeah. So, you know, stimulus to fatigue is just like the amount of like pretty much the amount of like muscle building adaptations we're getting uh, to the fatigue that we're producing in the person. So when we're picking exercises for people, um, we want to meet people where they're at. So for some people that might be a barbell deadlift and that would be great for them. Um, for other people that might look more like, you know, an RDL with some five pound dumbbells, you know, um, we don't necessarily want to pick exercises that are going to allow us to like lift the most weight possible because sometimes there's like a fatigue cost to that. That's not like necessarily like worth the benefit. And there's an exercise that would be more appropriate where the stimulus is greater than the fatigue cost for that exercise. And if we can do that, that's going to, that's going to be better because we're going to be able to recover from that. We're still going to get a ton of benefit from it. Um, so auto regulation is a, is also a good way to kind of like help meet people where they're at. So um, auto regulation is basically just a framework that we can give somebody for meeting themselves where they're at in training. Um, so we know from research that like your strength levels are going to fluctuate on a day-to-day -day basis. And that can be related to previous training that can be um, related to your sleep that can be related to your nutrition your stress levels your mood for the day so many different things can affect how you're performing in a session and we want to be able to kind of like assess our readiness to train or where we're at in that session day to day so that we can meet the stimulus that we're after or we can meet ourselves where we're at so like the absolute like performance in each session doesn't matter as much as us getting the stimulus that we're looking for. And auto-regulation can help us with that. And so there's a couple of different ways we can auto-regulate training. Um, the one that a lot of people will be familiar with is RPE, which just stands for rating of perceived exertion. So it's a scale that we can use from zero to 10 um, to rate our perceived exertion on an exercise. So how hard something felt. Um, zero being like laying in bed, 10 being like the hardest you've ever tried before. Um, another way that we can do that is through RIR, so reps in reserve. And we can use like RPE via reps in reserve. So an example would be like an RPE 10 might be a weight you can do where you've got zero reps in reserve. And an RPE 9 would be, you know, a weight you can do with one rep left in reserve. And an RPE 8 would be two reps left in reserve and so on and so forth. Um, and that gives people a little bit more of like a tangible way of like reading their perceived exertion, because sometimes like, you know, how hard that feel on a scale from zero to 10 is a little bit arbitrary, but like asking people, how many more reps do you think you could have done on that set? So uh, like an example, we might ask somebody to do like a set of eight on squat and work up to a weight where they can do the set of eight, but they're going to leave two reps left in the tank. So meaning if they did two more reps, they would fail. Um, and that's a little bit easier for people to think about, like, so that's one way to do it. Uh, Velocity-based training is another way to do it where we measure the speed on a bar or the speed of an exercise, but that's not very accessible for a lot of people because you have to have a device for measuring 
velocity. Um, and that's just not going to be realistic for most people, but that is one way to do it. And that's how a lot of like RPE or like auto regulation um, research is done is by looking at like velocity. Um, but I like to provide my clients with some knowledge around auto regulation so that they can meet themselves where they're at um, in their training sessions. And people will surprise themselves. Like a lot of times you can come into a training session feeling like super tired, you didn't get a lot of sleep or you're feeling stressed out. Um, and I like to tell my clients, like, go into a session without any expectations because you'll surprise yourself. Like, you can feel, people have probably experienced this before. When I tell people this, they're like, oh, I've, I've felt that before. Where you go into a session, you're tired, you're expecting to feel like crap in the session, and then you go and you warm up and you, you, you PR or you feel great. Um, and then conversely, like, you can go into a session, like, you're amped, you're ready for this session, you're excited for this exercise, you're ready to go. And you warm up and you're just not at the level where you want to be that day, even though you're really excited and psyched for your training. And sometimes that happens. Um, and so being able to like meet yourself where you're at is really helpful. Um, it's going to keep training um, more sustainable because instead of going in and like hyperventilating about like the weight you have to hit in a training session, like, oh my God, I got to squat 300 pounds today because that's what the training plan says, but I'm tired and I'm scared of that weight and I blah, blah, blah like all these different things. Um, instead of that, you you know, you can go into the session with that expectation, warm up, figure out where you're at for the day and hit what's going to be appropriate for you. Um, so psychologically, it's less stressful. Um, and then just physiologically too, it, it keeps your training more sustainable. It keeps it so that like the training is hard enough for you to get stronger, but it's not so hard that it's demolishing you session after session. You're not going to hit a wall as soon. You're going to be able to train for longer and you're going to enjoy your training more. So yeah, I love that idea that like whatever ability you have on uh, a given day is just what you set the stimulus to. Uh, so for my own training today, after this, I'm gonna I have uh, three sets on so on just on squats. I have three sets, um, and I'm gonna do I'm gonna hit three reps, and it's gonna be four in reserve. And so I'm just the weight is just up in the air. Do you set your training up like that, or would you give a client a weight? And then just say, get as many reps as you can, or what would, what would your approach be? There's lots of different ways to do it. I typically will like keep the rep range fixed and then give somebody like um, an exertion level to hit, um, whatever that may be for that person and like their goals. Um, but you can also say like, you know, let's hit an AMRAP. So you're going to put 135 pounds on the bar and you're going to rep it out until it feels like RPE nine. So you feel like you've only got one more rep left. Um, that's another way to auto-regulate. Um, you can also use auto-regulation for volume. I can say, okay, you're going to do that weight and you're going to keep doing sets until that weight feels like an RPE 9 or something like that. And then as soon as it does, you stop the session there. Um, so there's lots of different ways that you can do it um, where you keep the rep range fixed or where you just keep the exertion level fixed and the rep range can be flexible um, or like so many different ways that you can use it. So, Yeah, I... I typically know what weights work for my clients, but we like, we warm up in their sessions. And what I've switched over to doing is basically, uh, I'm like, right, keep going till you have two left or till you have five left or whatever. And it's so funny. I feel bad. I, so I, I've decided like, this is a better approach, but then I feel bad telling the clients like what, <laughs> what to think of, because I feel like I'm giving them more work when in actual fact, I'm matching the stimulus to their ability. So instead yeah. of me just plucking a number out of the sky, being like, well, you did 10 last week. So like, you should be able to do 12 this week. It's like, no, like you just keep going till you have like one left or whatever. So 
Um, I guess, who do you think it's it's very effective for, the most effective for, and who do you think like auto-regulation auto is less effective for? I think that if you are, I think it's effective for everybody, honestly. Um, and I think like what you're doing is good. Like I'll do that sometimes where I'll have people do like an AMRAP or I'll just prescribe like a different rep range because it can be like kind of like an RPE audit for people. Like it can help them stay real. Like some people like to undershoot. Like they're like, I don't know. I think I only have like two more reps left there, but we're watching them. And I'm like, that looks like warm up. Like, I know you've got like five more probably. Um, or other clients I have who love training and love to push hard. And they're like, yeah, that was RPE eight. And I'm like, that was like a bone on bone, like grindy rep. You definitely did not have two more reps left there. Um, and so kind of what you're doing is a good way to like audit your RPE and like, well, let's just see how many more reps you can do here until it feels like that, like an RPE nine or something like that. And then that can help people um, calibrate their RPE a little bit better. But I think RPE, I think auto-regulation is appropriate for everybody. I think if you're brand new to it, it can be a little bit hard um, because you're not used to thinking about your training that way. And you might not have enough experience to know what your actual limits are, um, especially if you've never maxed out or you've never failed a lift before. Sometimes you don't really know what your limit is. But um, I think that it you can become accurate enough with experience. Like the more you start thinking about your training that way and the more you practice using autoregulation, uh, the more precision you're going to have with judging your own RPE. And there's things that we can do as coaches um, to help people with that. Like, like you were saying, an AMRAP for an RPE audit. Or um, one of the things that I like to do with my clients who are pretty new to strength training is like I will have them squat twice in one week, just a regular squat no variations, nothing crazy, but like session one will be like, let's do four reps at RPE eight. And then session, uh, you know, at the end of the session where we're squat the next later in the week when we're squatting again, I'll say, let's do eight reps at RPE eight. Sometimes what happens is like my clients do the same weight that they did on Monday on Friday, but this time they did it for eight reps. And I'm like, okay, so what does that tell you about like, you didn't get that much stronger, like in a few days. So maybe your RPE, like your calibration is a little bit off. And now you, now that you know you can do this weight for eight reps, next week you're probably going to go a little heavier on that like lower rep set. Um, so I like to do that sometimes because it helps. It gives people a little bit more context and a little bit more experience with the lift and about where their limits are to help them calibrate the RPE a little bit more. Um, so yeah. yeah, I really like that because you can set up kind of like, a framework or just you know check in and, and, and actually see exactly how accurate they are um and something else i'm thinking of you said that uh this approach works for everybody i'm thinking that like there's no kind of wrong answer really so like if i have a if i have a brand new client in and i'm like okay we're going to squat 135 because you said you've done it before i want you to keep going till you have five left like if they did one rep and they're like yeah i can only do six it's like well that's how you feel on the day. So that's the right answer. You know, it's, there's no, what, what you get is the right answer. What do you think of that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, like we discussed, your strength levels can fluctuate day to day. So just because you've done something in the past historically doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it on that day. Um, and so I think it can, it can work for any situation. Yeah. I think you can, you can tailor it or set it, set it up so that it's effective for yeah. any any client yeah and so, I won't always like frame it that way for people like sometimes if I'm just starting with a client like 
all I will do is like, let's warm up and work up to something that feels like moderately challenging. And like, as we're warming up or as we're like increasing in weight, I'll just ask them like, how many more reps do you think you could do if you had to keep going? And I'll just start putting that question in their mind over a few sessions. And then, you know, by session three or four, we can talk about RPE or reps in reserve because we've already been kind of thinking about it that way. Nice. Yeah. You kind of like uh, take small steps towards it. Yeah. That's really useful. Uh, so Natasha, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for the the time and the great conversation. Uh, is there any links or anything that you want to plug before we wrap up? Um, yeah. I mean, if anybody wants to check out my content or, um, anything like that they can find me on instagram is the best place to find me um i post a lot of content there um and in my instagram stories um that's kind of it thanks for having me on the podcast yeah no uh thank you for your time and your content is very good so i would highly recommend anyone uh check it out for this thing so thanks very much we'll talk to you soon